Welcome to The Medium Project. This is a podcast hosted by Bibliocinephiles, discussing adaptations of various mediums for the screen. Join us as we give our thoughts on the hits and misses when it comes to casting, set design, and overall the looks of the worlds that have been adapted. We'll have these conversations with a medium amount of research and a large amount of passion. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Today, we are going to talk about Harry Potter 1. Did you ever make anything happen? Anything you couldn't explain? You're a wizard, Harry. I'm a what? And we're going to break that down. I'm one of the hosts, Josh Perez. The other one is almost Dr. Sarah Warland. And we are going to jump right into it. Sarah, this book came out in 1997 and the movie came out in 2001. What were you doing? Where were you? When was your first read? And when was your recent read? Yeah. So 1997. So when the book came out, I was five years old. So I didn't read it right away when the book started coming out. I was a kind of late comer to the scene. Even 2001, like I think that the movies were coming out or the movies were out, some of them at least, before I even started reading the books. So I mean, where was I? I was like in my house (laughs) in Los Alamos, I guess. That's the answer to that question. But I, so disclosure, this will come out probably many times. I was homeschooled growing (laughs) up. So that's an important piece of this. But I remember when the books came out, there was all the kind of like anti-Harry Potter, like this is magic. So it's bad. And so we weren't like not allowed to read Harry Potter, but it wasn't something that we were like encouraged to read either. So my first read of this book was sort of secretive. My brother's best friend, I have an older brother, his best friend really liked the Harry Potter books. And so I had lent my brother the first book. And I remember it was like in this cupboard in our house, which is hilarious because Harry grows up in the cupboard, right? And so I like took it out of the cupboard when my mom wasn't at home. And this was probably, I don't know, like I was probably 12, 11 or 12, something like that. And I would read a chapter like every time she would go to the grocery store (laughs) and was so nervous she was going to catch me. But it was so funny because she like knew the book was in our house. So it wasn't like she was like, ah, burn the book, right? Like that wasn't even her attitude. But I remember reading the first book and thinking it was so good and like so exciting. And the picture of like Harry as a baby on the first chapter of the first book is like etched into my mind because I looked at it so many times. So that was my first kind of foray into reading Harry Potter. And then I really got into it probably a couple years later when, I mean, I'm sure I like asked my parents, like, I want to read these books. And they took me to the library and I got them there and read all of them. The only book that I was able to wait outside of the bookstore to get, though, was uh, Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows. So the final one. Oh, wow. So it must have been, yeah, I I don't know exactly. It's like between 2006 and 2007 that I was really into them and reading all of them. And then the movies followed from that, but I was always um, into the books before that. But that's, yeah, that was kind of when I was reading them. I always find it really funny that I was like going behind my parents' back (laughs) to read the books. (laughs) And now they've read them too and really like them. And um, yeah, so that's my first start in this. But where were you? Oh, man. Where was I in 1997? 
I must have been six, six ish, and elementary school. I was in California. And I didn't grow up in a home that necessarily like kept us from reading certain things. So it was never, I got to jump in right away. And I remember my, my, one of my best friends, Jake, had all the books. So he would read them first and then he would give them to me. And, and then I would read them. And so we, we got to read them almost because I, I didn't read them in 1997. It must have been a few years after that, maybe around 2000 or so. And so I got to read, I think it was like the first couple. But I even remember we'd get like points uh, in elementary school if we read certain books and depending on how big the books were. So I got, I would started reading them because they were, they started getting yes. bigger and bigger. But the fourth book was just, it was just too big. It was just too, and I gave up in elementary school. But anyways, so I, I, I remember reading them and they were, they were really fascinating for sure. But I think the second read was more, and then I've read them three times total in my most recent time. So the second time I read it, I was 20, I think in 2011. And then I read them again in 2020. And I rereading the first book was so nostalgic to so many different things. Cause I think even the first book being written with, I don't know what the languages or the words are for the literary way of writing of, it was very exaggerated. Like when they describe Petunia's neck being so long and like everything is so grand and obnoxiously, yeah, exaggerated right. about because when you're a kid, you see things completely differently. And so I remember reading this recently and just being like, I remember thinking this way. Like, I remember thinking everything was either literal or crazy or uh, like I, I came home from school one day and we talked about elephant guns for some reason. And I was so confused. And I remember telling my mom, like, elephant guns, like there's a gun big enough to shoot out elephants, which is so obnoxious. But in that world, like, that's what you're hearing. That's what you're seeing. Right. And so- uh, reading it this third time brought me back just to school and ma- actually it made me miss going to school again. Uh, cause like, I wonder what that's like. I, I know you've been going to school since when, <laughs> since you were two, like forever, 20 <laughs> something years now, but yeah, like, and then even just getting, yeah, getting into like the missing school, missing the newness of it. Like right. when Harry gets, he, I get to go to the school, I get my book list, I get my classes and it made me bring me back to those times where I was excited to like summer was always awesome. And then we'd all pretend like we hated when summer was over, but really it's like, Oh, I get to go meet new friends or get new classes, new, all that good stuff. Yeah. But, get your new big box of crayons. Oh, <laughs> the, the, the 64 <laughs> count was dude. That was extravagant. If you had anything less than 48, you were judged. Yeah, for sure. Well, I mean, I don't know that because I literally went to school with myself, but <laughs> I, I think I even convinced my parents to buy the 128 once and it was just way too much. Whoa! You're like freaking Beverly Hills then. Carrying that every day got really annoying. <laughs> no. Origin of back it. problem. And then you leave it and people are stealing my burnt sienna crayons. <laughs> <laughs> but, That's awesome. But anyways, and so from that, like, and I think with books to movies, right? There are some times where people do them really well and people don't do them really well based on how we think and how we see the book in our mind as we're reading. Right. And so I just want to, I think we should just start off with that. Like, okay, so for this category, we're going to, we called it most bloody hell, also bloody brilliant adaptations. And so bloody hell, meaning these are classic Ron phrases and it can be either this is really ridiculous that's going on in the book and the movie or a really bad adaptation in our opinion or bloody brilliant where it's like this was really cool like seeing this come to life or it was a brilliant adaptation from the book 
to the movie. So Sarah, why don't you kick us off with a couple of Bloody Hell and Bloody uh, Brilliant. Okay. Wait, I want to do Bloody Hells first for both of us, but I'll kick it off and then I'm going to throw it back to you. So I think my like most bloody hell moment in this, and it has to do with the character of Hermione, which as this all unfolds, everyone will come to know that I deeply care about Hermione's depiction (laughs) in both the books and the movies. But I think... Yeah, the thing I always find strange in the movie adaptation of Sorcerer's Stone or Philosopher's Stone, we have listeners from England, is at the end when Ron and Harry and Hermione descend through the trap door and they're going through all of the like obstacles or protective measures for the Sorcerer's Stone. And in the movie, they condense that down. So they take out Snape's potion riddle And instead, Hermione kind of shows her chops in the devil's snare. But how it happens in the book is that they fall through the trap door and then they're like getting attacked by the devil's snare. And Hermione's like trying to remember. She's like, oh, how do we get out of the devil's snare? And um, she remembers that it it hates light or it hates heat. I, I think it's a combination of those. And she's like, but we don't have any fire. (laughs) And then Ron yells at her and he's like, are you a witch or not? Which in any other case would be like, wow, that's a really rude thing to say. (laughs) And then of course, Hermione conjures her beautiful blue flames and they are saved. And then it goes on and they go through all the other obstacles. And then Hermione and, and Harry are the ones who go to the potions riddle. And Hermione, 11 years old, let us not forget like totally ballers her way through that and kicks its butt. And then Harry goes through and she goes back to help Ron and they go back to to get Dumbledore down there. And I always, I find that what they do in the movie is sort of reductive of Hermione's role because I think she is such an 11-year-old in the book, right? Like she falls through into the devil's snare, like is trying to remember what to do. And then she figures it out, but then she kind of loses her head. And I think it's also really revelatory of the fact that Hermione is muggle-born. She forgets that she's a witch in that moment. Like she's lived her whole life up until that point being um, confined by all of the confines of muggledom or whatever. And then Ron, who is not muggle-born, I think interestingly has to remind her that she has these capabilities. But then she kind of redeems herself in this space of the potions riddle where she has this incredible logic. Uh, Like I I have literally sat with that riddle and tried, (laughs) (laughs) like recreated it. Super nerd right here. I've like tried to recreate it and kind of think through like, how would I solve this? And I think I could do it, but not as fast as Hermione does it. And under such pressure, which I think is really speaks to then Hermione throughout the entire book series of just really her logic, her cool thinking, the fact that Harry and Ron would be literally doomed without Hermione at every turn. But well, I'm sure that will come up more often. So I would say that's one of my bloody hell moments that I don't like about the adaptation into the movie because I think that it does change some of the way that Hermione is portrayed and kind of her characterization yeah. in that way. Yeah, and I think uh, I have a bloody hell issue with that as well because but for other reasons... Just taking out that that whole section, because I agree with you in everything you said about how it, it portrays her character and taking away from her character, but also Snape's character, as that was supposed to be Snape's like trial or Snape's test right. to like protect the stone. 
And so I think it would have added more confusion or like more uh, tension between, wait, do I like Snape or do I not like Snape? Because right. he put such an impressive riddle in place to be able to protect this stone. But yet Harry this whole time thinks it is Snape on the other side of this. So when he's revealed that it's actually Professor Quirrell, is that how you say it? Quirrell? Yeah, that's uh, how I, I mean, yeah, I guess. <laughs> Professor <laughs> that's Quirrell. How I say it. And so when he realizes it's not Snape and, and Quirrell's like, oh yeah, well, Snape's trying to like, try to save you. And Snape's like, uh, was counter jinxing my curse that was right. supposed to kill you. And mind you, Quirrell's a grown ass man and he's trying to murder an 11 year old on a broomstick at like a lot of feet in the air. And so I think removing that really takes away from that reader's perspective of Snape of, is he good? Is he bad? He's doing good. He's clearly not nice and not a good person to Harry the whole book. Right. But then his actions kind of speak differently. And I think removing that action, uh, you kind of miss out a little bit on. That's a really interesting point too, because in the movie, you don't really see Snape past a certain point. Mm. Like, I mean, and some of that's natural because there's a lot of focus there at the end on Harry and Hermione and Ron and Dumbledore especially. But you do kind of lose a little bit of that, of what they try and build up in that tension between Quirrell and Snape, which Harry constantly like over, this should also be like a theme of Harry Potter books is Harry sort of overhearing a conversation and then assuming he knows exactly what's going on, which I mean is probably something that could be said about many of us, but I find it hilarious. That's a classic uh, school experience, right? That's gossip and all that. Yes, exactly. Um, So, but I think that's a really good point because it does sort of, it leaves you perhaps with a more tainted vision of Snape in the movie in certain ways because you don't have a lot of that resolution of Mm. even seeing him do anything to try and protect the stone with his like specialty of magical knowledge. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah. So that was my bloody hell. What about you? Uh, the most, well, I want to start off with two, which I didn't realize this. The most bloody hell moments got to be that he, Ron doesn't actually say bloody hell in the books. I was yes. kind of flabbergasted by that, <laughs> but I guess they are 11 year olds and I don't know, 11 year olds are saying bloody hell everywhere. Uh, as we were discussing earlier about how in England, some of the language is more intense. Like I say bloody, I'm like, oh, it doesn't seem that bad. But in England, it seems so much worse and other yeah, terms. Like total heathens right now. But sorry, uh, English listeners. <laughs> we but, can beep this out if it ever goes to England. And then also he only says it 23 times in the movie. And I feel like he says it way more, but apparently he says bloody hell 23 times. So anyways, bloody hell moment. But my most bloody hell thing about this whole book is that the treatment of 11 year olds has to be like bloody hell, like what is happening to 11 year olds? <laughs> it starts off with like an 11 year old cooking on a, I don't know if, did you cook bacon? I know there are people out there I that cook at an early age. I can't cook bacon. He's I like cooking. I'm like almost 30 years old and I'm terrible at cooking bacon. He's like frying meat and it's just, I don't know. <laughs> oh, that's so that's terrifying. One. But also like the way the Dursleys treat them. One, they make them sleep in a cupboard. Which I, I googled a bunch of like uses of of uh, cupboards, and I found uh, several blogs about. Oh, these are the best uses for for a cupboard. And on a list of twenty three, not one of them said this is a good place to put your nephew. That's parents have been okay. recently murdered. Wait, I have to interject here because I find this hysterical. Because when my brother and his family come to visit us, I have a six, almost seven year old nephew. And they stay in my sister's old room. In a cupboard? 
Okay, no, let me tell the story, Josh. So they stay in her room, but there's two closets in the room and one of them is a very large closet that like extends back into like the wall sort of. And so my dad clears out the whole closet and then makes like a little bed in there. And that's where my nephew stays and he loves it. <laughs> he asks about sleeping in the closet and in the, and we always make Harry Potter jokes about it because it's truly like my nephew in the cupboard. That's incredible. How old your nephew? Six, almost seven. Nice, nice, nice. nice. So, I mean, he's going to outgrow up pretty quick, but <laughs> it's funny while it lasts. We'll revisit when he turns 11. The, but yeah, the, like there's all the things that they do to 11 year olds, the playing Quidditch and then the murder attempt on him as an 11 year old, Naturally, the forbidden forest detention. Like there's this forest that they say, Hey, don't go in there. There's things out there that can kill you. And then they get in trouble. And they're like, Hey, let's, you, your detention punishment is to go out into that place that we say that can, you can get killed by creatures. And then also the fact that maybe it's not the treatment. And this is just like, I guess the experience of an 11 year old. But the fact that Harry Potter murders a man with his bare hands at the age of 11, then he has to deal with that. He has to live with that trauma, I'm assuming. He killed a man at 11 years old and then an apparition of sorts flies through him. He had Voldemort's soul fly through him. Like that's bloody hell. Like what? True. How do you, how do you recover from that? Does he recover is the real answer. I mean, truly... In the grand scheme of things, this is like one massive trauma in the long line of massive traumas that are upcoming for Harry's life. That's true. I'm not saying that means it's right, but I'm just saying. I feel like after this this third (laughs) reread, it's like this is just a lateral step from the Unfortunate Events series books. It's just... (laughs) We read those books like, oh, this is so miserable and terrible. And then I'm reading this. I'm like, wait, this isn't that far off from the insane experience of these kids who, yeah, 11 years old. What I is that? Sixth grade? Fifth grade, right? Fifth grade. No, sixth grade. I don't know. That's a long time ago. But I think, too, that is that sums up so much of one of the reasons sometimes I feel like a hairy apologist because I people who have lots of problems with the way he acts in later books, I'm like, yeah. He's a dingbat. But like, think about what this kid has been through in his mere like 11 years of being alive or 12 or 13 or 14 or 15, which is where I think people really kind of start like laying in on Harry of being like, he's a jerk. He doesn't handle things well. And I'm like, he had to murder someone with his bare hands when he was 11. (laughs) I was barely allowed to stay at home by myself at 11. Like these are the things he's dealing with. And so, yeah, I agree with you. I also find it interesting that the way Quirrell dies when Harry touches him, like in the movies, how they depict it, right? Is that he basically just like disintegrates. Yeah. Which is akin to the way that they depict Voldemort dying in the final movie. Ah. He like wisps away. And Uh so what I really want to say is that Harry Potter did it first, Marvel. So (laughs) that's it. No, that's that's funny too about the way he did it because he didn't even second guess. That's the other thing. He like touches his hand and his hand disintegrates. And then he looks at his hands. He's like, yeah, this is a great idea. Let's touch his face. (laughs) Oh my gosh. That's so true. He just goes for it. (laughs) Brave, brave boy. Um, Amazing. But I would say that's my biggest one. I think that I have some other like minor bloody hell. Oh, and a little one is, is the sorting hat. It just had no rhyme or reason in the movie versus the book. The book does it alphabetically, which I know this is a very tiny thing, but it bugged me when I was watching it where I'm like, he just 
straight up calls Hermione Granger and then he goes to like Weasley and then he goes to someone else and then he goes to Potter and it's just all oh, random. You know, it's interesting too. And I don't know if they just do this uh, the way they do it in the movie so that it feels like you as the audience member are a part of it. But that the sorting hat speaks aloud what it's thinking about. Oh, yeah, yeah, Whereas yeah. in the book, it speaks into the person's like mind or like ear yeah. or whatever. And so like for Harry, he like keeps to himself basically that the sorting hat considered putting him in Slytherin. And that's something that then he like reveals to Albus, his child at the end of the last book. But in the movie, it's like everyone was aware of that, that yeah. the Sorting Hat considered putting him in Slytherin. Then he's like, not Slytherin, not Slytherin. And he's like, not Slytherin, eh? <laughs> Better be Gryffindor. And that's where he ends up going. But I find that interesting as well with their the movie's adaptation of that, that it's like common knowledge in yeah. some way. Yeah. And I think I think that's a, a an interesting just life thing, I guess, too, is like we like everyone has a choice, even when you don't have a choice. Yeah. Or how many things in our life do we feel like are assigned to us and then right because we just sit there and just let it happen but harry like got to choose i think that's kind of cool but uh the the oh he doesn't sing either like there's this no, song there's that the no sorting hat does and i wonder do you think that would just would have been too much like musically too much like lord of the ring because lord of the rings does something similar right there's a lot of music and poetry in lord yeah, of the rings and a lot of that gets cut out it, at least in the movies although that kind of depends on which movie you're looking at but i also wonder and I haven't done this research, so this might be something to look up in future episodes, but is like, what were the deleted scenes? Oh, because I even right. think too, like, and this again, I'm thinking about Lord of the Rings of like one of the, like the lay of Luthien Aragorn does sing, but it's in the extended edition. So oh, it's not always right part down. of the movie cut, but I don't know that about this one. I don't know if it was a an option and then they just cut it because of time. But I agree with you. I think sometimes it's easier to lose kind of lose attention when it's like a hat singing. I don't know. Like <laughs> that would have been tough. So I, I'm going to cut him some slack on that, that adaptation. You need to pull that up. Top five movies where hats are singing and were they distracting? <laughs> but that's true. And I mean, the movie's two and a half hours long and yeah. this is, I think the shortest book. And yeah. therefore I, I would assume a lot of things are, they have to cut out things for right. certain. I think that's an interesting kind of time comparison too. Cause I was thinking as I was rewatching this movie is that it's fairly close to the book, like chronologically. Mm, yeah. I mean, there's there's things that are changed, but um, I think chronologically, they're fairly close to the book. And so um, I do think that in some ways, this is one of the most, I don't know, the closest adaptations, I guess, from the books, just because, I mean, you think about trying to make like a two and a half hour movie out of the fifth book and then out of the first book. Yeah. And there's a lot of stuff that you have to change to get the almost 600 pages of Order of Phoenix to to fit in that for space. For sure. They started yeah. off strong in the keeping it accurate. Yeah, I, for sure. I, I think so. And then I guess my last one, and this one's kind of silly, but it's a big gripe for me. It's a big bloody hell. Those those hats, those wizard, the kids' wizard hats. <laughs> what are those? Like dunce caps or something? I just, I couldn't. I couldn't do it. They're pointy wizard hats. I didn't like them. Okay, this is what I find interesting though, is that, I think that they're closest to the book's descriptions of stuff in the first costumes. Because if you read in the books, like I even remember there's one point in time, maybe this is in the third book, where it describes like Professor McGonagall wearing like her witch's hat yeah. to like dinner. So uh -huh. like they are, they're wearing them a lot. But then after the first movie, they kind of give it up because I think probably they felt that way too. Like 
when you actually see it, it's like a little bit of overkill. <laughs> yeah. Well, McGonagall's hat, I'm fine with. Yeah, Professor Rockbag, Rock. I'm okay with that hat. It's the kids' hats. The ones without brim. Like, what? They're so cute. I, <laughs> it does kind of look like, though, when, like, as a kid, you would just, like, roll up a piece of paper into a triangle just, and, like, pop it on your hat, on your head. I understand oh it was the gosh. first one is probably the lowest budget, but, but did you have any other? My only other Bloody Hell thing was I just have a real problem with the fact that Hagrid abandons Harry <laughs> in King's Cross and is like, oh, I don't have 10 minutes to take you to this small platform and help assist you to this platform that does not exist to the naked <laughs> eye. Sorry, busy, bud. And then just takes off. And thank God for Mrs. Weasley, which also like that's a theme of these entire books. But I just, that seems so unreal, like so ridiculous to me. Although it's the same in the book. So I don't, that's not necessarily like a gripe about adaptation, but perhaps more of like, a problem with how this information is communicated to these children who are just being exposed to the wizarding world. So the, the treatment of 11 year olds. I'm, yeah, that's true. I I think that, yeah, my, I guess my gripe would then like slide in as like a subcategory of your larger, this is all happening to 11 year olds. Remember <laughs> category. It's, it's, it is wild. So yes, oh my bloody hell. My most bloody hell thing is the treatment of 11-year-olds or the experience of 11-year-olds so in, true. in this book. Okay, so yeah. Uh, what about your bloody brilliant moments? Totally. So I think my first bloody brilliant would be Diagon Alley is really cool. Yes, I And agree. part of the reason I think that also is because I've been to Universal Studios representation of Diagon Alley in real life and it's awesome. And it's totally based off of movie. And it's just like, I mean, this is on the nose, but it's totally magical and really cool. So I think that would be it. I really like the way they do the scene with Ollivander. I think mm, the way they yep. portray Ollivander is very true to the book, which I think is great. And I think it's cool. I've always thought that scene is so interesting after you finish the series to go back and read that scene and know how important it is yeah. that that's the one that chooses Harry. And so I love that scene and love Diagon Alley. But I think my favorite, like my most bloody brilliant moment from this movie, um, and really it's from the movie, like you kind of get this in the book too, but I love how they do it in the movie, is when Malfoy first introduces himself to Harry and he like totally like drags Ron through the mud and then like says something to Harry and he's like, uh, you'll soon find that like some wizarding families are better than others. I can help you there. And Harry just like totally doesn't even <laughs> take his hand. He's like, I think I can tell who the wrong sort are for myself. Thanks. And the shade in that moment, I'm like, oh, dang. Oh, like, they started early. He's so good. And I just think it's so like, I think one of the things, again, this is me being a Harry apologist, which will happen often that I find so remarkable about Harry is that he is so good on the inside, even though for 11 years, he hasn't, well, 10 years, he has not experienced any sort of like care or real kind treatment from anybody. And yet he responds to Malfoy's malevolence in such a way of like, I'm already defending this friend I've had for like six hours. And just... I don't know. I think that speaks to who Harry is as a person 
and just like that gentleness of his spirit that he's maintained. And I think that's really beautiful. And also it's just like, like, dang, that sass is coming out and I love it. So that yeah. would be my bloody brilliant moment. I love, yeah, and I, lo- I agree with the Diagon Alley. Like that one really stuck out to me about just the way they portrayed it. I've never been, unfortunately, to the world of Harry. Uh, okay. I really want to go one day. But I think that the way it was so exciting. I mean, going back to the nostalgia of yeah. going to get your school supplies and going to, and I, I used to get excited when I went to Walmart. And so, like, yes. when I get to go to this world and you get to pick out your books and your, and I, I think in the books, I enjoyed it way more because they, they really, really, dove into the the stores and all the different right. items. And also in the movie, uh, Hagrid shows up with Hedwig. Right. And we don't even know her name. And Harry buys Hedwig in the book and then names Hedwig Hedwig. And she is such an important character, I feel like, later on. I mean, even in this first movie. But I, anyways, I think that was a miss not to yeah. not to introduce Hedwig as, as the character. And it would have took like 10 seconds. But right. anyways, that being said, I love the way that they portray everything and Ollivander specifically, same thing with uh, Hedwig. Ollivander becomes this more right. prominent character and very important in the later movies. But the way that they did it, it just reminded me of like a footlocker, which I thought was really cool. Like when you're like, hey, can I get these shoes in a size eight? And <laughs> I then- never thought of that. That's hilarious. <laughs> and it was so, I was like, dang, this is, I like the Welcome way they portrayed to that. Pay less wands. <laughs> <laughs> they have all the boxes stacked and then <laughs> you just go around and you dig it out in the back and then it comes up forward and boom, you get to try this out. The amount of times I think the phrase, nope, nope, definitely no, <laughs> is so many in my daily life. Yeah, he's not much. I mean, he's what now one scene in the whole movie, but I feel yeah. like he is brilliant. Like he brings a lot. Yeah. And he totally captures the feeling that Harry talks about in the book when he kind of says he's like, I'm not sure. I or like it, he's thinking to himself, I think, where he's like, I, I don't know if he's like good or bad. Like there's something about him that's a yeah. little bit off putting. And I think that that guy really sort of captures that in in a helpful way. I feel bad. I don't know his name, but um. Is that John Hurd? John Hurd. I don't think so. Look look at me using my computer. John Hurd. Oh, let's go. Yeah. Are we sure? I that just, I just like typed him. Ollivander in IMDb like as if it would pop up. And I was like, wait, <laughs> hang on a second. Why did I do that? Yeah, I guess it is. John Hurt. Good for me. I think another brilliant moment for me was I the the light being green and I know it's in it accurate in the book right the the evil the unforgivable oh, like, curses like, there you go yeah avada kedavra it's very accurate yeah the 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 unforgivable curses are green and then the 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 spells that harry does though his favorite one's red, red which okay. i think is really cool cuz it goes against it goes against your normal right. thinking right green being more good or go and then red right. being stop or evil but Star Wars did the same thing. And I right. always thought that stood out to me so much is that the lasers were green from the, the 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 Empire. And that was very confusing to me. And then the red bullets came out of the X-Wings. But their lightsabers are, oh, they're are opposite. And I'm wondering if it's because, you know, it bounces off. Like yeah. if you have a green huh. and you, oh, no, that doesn't make sense. They're not deflecting red bullets. Anyways, but yeah, they have them reversed. And I thought that was interesting. That is interesting. I'd never thought about that. Yeah, so I thought about that in here huh. where it's like, oh, that's kind of interesting how they did the the same yeah. concept. Well, you wrote about it. But. Yeah, that's really, you know, it's also funny just when you were talking about the colors, I find it interesting that neither of us have griped about the color of Harry's eyes, which I feel like was like a huge gripe when oh, it yeah. first came out 
of like, Harry doesn't have green eyes. And that's like such a big deal in the books. Yeah. And like, really, I mean, like, yeah, in a perfect world, right? Like you, but also I find the way that she describes his eye color in the book. I'm like, and then of course, by extension, Lily's eye color. I've never really seen anyone with that striking of green. Like she talks about them as like emerald green eyes. And I'm like, that would have been impossible to find and also probably would have looked kind of unnatural on a kid if they had done that. But that's my personal opinion. I don't find it to be a detractor from the books. And I don't think, or from the movies, and I don't really find it to be troublesome in the later, I don't know, in the later movies either. So. Yeah. And I I think that goes to, to how she wrote it, right? About when you're a kid, you're like, oh, their their eyes were red like fire. It's yeah. like, no, they weren't. Or That's they such got a good point. their face turned as red as fire or whatever. Yeah. And so I think in the same way, she was staying true to how an 11 year old would interpret yeah. things. Yeah, because yeah. as a kid, you're like, oh my gosh, those eyes were green as emeralds. So green. And then I turned 20, <laughs> whatever age. And I'm like, oh my, I'm all critical of all these exaggerations. I'm like, they're not really, they're like a hazel brown. Yeah, when we become like the jaded humans that we are. Oh gosh, I love the it. world's taken our innocence. But I, I and so there's, the, that was a big one for me. Uh, I definitely think the castle reveal, like the, just the the building yes. of Hogwarts. So I yeah. thought it was brilliant. The experience of walking through it, the moving staircase, the grandiose of the castle. Yeah. I thought that was a great adaptation and interpretation of yeah. the castle as well. The a little thing was I thought this is gonna be sad because it involves a unicorn dying, but the unicorn blood, the way they showed it of that, super, super I don't even know what silvery. color. Yeah, it was like a yeah. silvery clear, but not clear. Yeah. I don't know. I that really stood out to me. And then uh, Hermione's attitude, I thought was like I think she she is yes. very very accurate in her sass and her attitude and her her character. I thought was really good, but. The, the most brilliant, I thought, was the opening. Like the yeah. opening, and not necessarily because, because I do agree, they cut out a lot from the the beginning of the books to the beginning of the movie, right. but more so the way they introduced instantly the world of magic through, they show you animals that aren't animals. They show you Dumbledore who's making lights disappear. And then, and not even on screen, but in my ears, the score like yeah. instantly brings this magical presence. And I thought, so that for me, the opening was like the most, I thought, bloody brilliant uh, yeah. thing that happened from the books to the movies. Because obviously we don't have a score when you're right. reading the books. Although when I did reread this, this might be super nerdy, but I listened to the the score soundtracks while reading the books. And it's it's a game changer. That surprises me not at all. What is the best cast? This category is best cast, worst cast. Yeah. In our imaginations as we are reading it, what are the best cast and worst cast. So we'll start with best. And what are some honorable mentions? So good. So my best cast would have to be Dame Maggie Smith as Professor McGonagall. Really? Yes. So also when I was reading the book the first time, again, I was pretty young and had no idea how to say McGonagall out loud. Mm. So when I was reading, I would say I called her Professor McGonagall. For the the first, like literally I called her that up until I watched the first movie. So I think she is absolutely everything I imagined Mm. Professor McGonagall to be. And she is such a great mix of strict, but also brilliant and also very kind when she needs to be and very much on Harry's side. And I, she's just perfect. Like, I can't, 
in my brain, I cannot picture anyone else ever being Professor mm. McGonagall. She is so brilliantly cast, in my I opinion. I also think she's just a fabulous woman anyway. So that's probably a little biased there. But what would you say for your best cast? My best? Well, Professor McGonagall is definitely an honorable mention. I definitely have her up there because this, I, I, yeah, she seems so incredible, yeah. both loving and stern and yes. just and loyal to the system too. Like taking yeah. off points from her own house, right, that kind of move, right. you know? Yes. I, I Super respectful. Uh, and I, yes, I think she portrays her brilliantly into how I would have, uh, see how I can imagine her. Yeah. But that being said, uh, I wouldn't necessarily say best cast. Um, that one's going to be tough, but uh, the thing that's cool about Professor McGonagall too, and Maggie Smith and same thing with Hagrid and Snape is that they were actually handpicked by JK Rowling, which yes. I think is really cool. So I feel like those three for me has to be one of them. And because I do, I like Ollivander. I think yeah. he was, like like I said, he's not in it long, that much, but I think he brings it. Therefore, I I, I do like that. Uh, Mr. Dursley is pretty, pretty, oh, yeah. pretty close for the me. The Dursleys are so unlikable. And that is so much, that's so attributed to the people, the, to their actors and actresses. No post on Sunday. I don't know why that phrase and that thing, that it, his enjoyment of that kind of cruelty yes. is just, it bugs me. I also, that's another one that time. has worked its way into my regular vernacular. I say no post on Sundays yep. all the time. And then I get packages on Sundays and I'm like, no post on Sunday. <laughs> Although I actually really do want them. So Jeff Bezos broke the rules on that one. But <laughs> the, but I would, I think I would have to say my, I, I think it has to be Snape, which actually, that's why I was surprised when you said Professor McGonagall is because I know how much of a fan of Alan Rickman you are. I am. And I, I do, I think he was, he brought him not only to life, but I, I enjoyed yeah. his portrayal and his uh, presence on the screen, I think more. I mean, the books, I mean, I he's more, I think in the books, in the or at least the first one, right? He's more in it and he has more of a presence, but he just bugged me. He just yeah. always bugs me. Yeah. I think that those, yeah, the three that you assessed are... They would be, I mean, obviously Maggie Smith being my, um, being my best cast, but Hagrid is so up there too. Like he, uh, Robbie Coltrane, right? Yes. He is so, oh my gosh. He just like encapsulates everything that I see in Hagrid in the book too, of just that kind of like bumbling, but so loving and mm, so yeah. loyal and really quite powerful as well. Like, I think sometimes I overlook that in Hagrid and then there will be certain scenes where, I mean, Hagrid is incredibly powerful in his own way. And I just, his loyalty to Dumbledore, I love the part where he finds the Dursleys and Harry in the cabin and um, Dursley, ins uh, Vernon Dursley insults Dumbledore and Hagrid never insults yeah. Albus Dumbledore in front of me. And I, yeah, so he was definitely one of my honorable mentions. He is so good. So good as Hagrid. I think too, Hagrid, Hagrid, just that gentle, kind spirit and that childlike inner, yes. inner self of when he, when he spills too much information, but yes. it's just because when you're a kid, it just seems like when you embrace that, right? You just right. kind of telling stories and you just keep talking and talking. And you're like, oh, I didn't know if I was supposed to say it or right. you do know, but you say it anyways and you catch yourself. And, right. And I think that that Hagrid did such a good job of yeah. portraying those things. And I think too, like even in that of like, I think so often when we use the term childlike, we mean it in a really demeaning way. But I think that in this case, that's the perfect word because 
I think like that impetus, right, to kind of like say perhaps more than you should have is belied by a feeling of safety of like, right, like a kid feels safe. So they're like, yeah, I'm going to say whatever I want. Like no one can hurt me or no one, that's not going to hurt anyone or, or hurt anything. And I think that's so cool to think about that of of Hagrid and his relationship with Ron and Hermione, but especially Harry throughout the entire yeah. series is just this like, it's just such a beautiful friendship where I I mean, I've seen so many memes, right? Or like read things about how Hagrid is like one of the only people that doesn't have an agenda on Harry's <laughs> life. He yeah. just like loves Harry because he loves Harry. And I mean, then of course people always argue with that too. But I think that that is such a beautiful picture of like really one of the only safe places that Harry has Um with an adult figure that really like is so consistent throughout the books. And I, yeah, I love Hagrid. I just think even books, movie, whatever. I love him so much. I might've been convinced to switch to Hagrid, but (laughs) they're, they're up there. What about, what about worst cast? This one's a little more slim for me. So yeah. I'm interested what you what you had thought. I, I had a hard time with this one thinking about this because I really truly feel that so many of these characters are really well cast. Um, and especially in that first movie where you're just kind of blown away by a really incredible job by whoever the casting um, department headed, whoever headed the casting department. But I guess and this is kind of like out of left field. I was struggling I put Professor Flitwick because <laughs> also he changes at some point in the movies. He looks different by the end. He's always like small. Yeah. But in this first one, he's like almost a goblin. I don't know. Oh. He like kind of, and then he has like that white tufty okay. hair. And then later on he gets, so I don't know, maybe he just like went through a dye job or something, but then he gets like chops his hair and it's like this short, dark bob. And I don't know exactly which movie that happens in, but that was what I, that's my worst cast. I don't that's really right. understand. He like, he, his portrayal just kind of shocked me. And so I guess that was why I felt a little confused. But now that I'm saying that, I'm also confused because I'm like, which one do I like better? Short, dark Bob or like goblin, strangely wizened <laughs> goblin man? And I don't know for sure. I just find that his lack of consistency and also his sort of just like, whoa, whoa, like his portrayal just shocked me. And so I guess that would be who I would say worst cast. That's funny. If I had, a, not that you asked my opinion on it, but if I had an opinion about short, the short Bob uh, Flitwick is definitely my favorite more. Flitwick. Only because he kicks ass in the last battle. That's and that's true. really funny to see him with his Bob cut just swirling his wand and yeah, well, defending I've, lives. That's why uh, this is... I don't know if this is like a gripe necessarily, but Flitwick is such a powerful wizard. Like, and I think that kind of gets lost in them trying to portray him kind of goofily. Mm. And I mean, some of that is because of like what's happening in his class with like 11 year olds, like exploding feathers. (laughs) Thanks, Seamus Finnegan. But uh, there's a part of that that's a little, I guess kind of, I, I don't know if the word demeaning is correct there, but it's a little bit like, okay, let's not make too much of a like, a joke out of Flitwick? I don't know. I don't mean that to like disparage his character or the portrayal of his character by the actor that was chosen, but it just is a little confusing to me. I don't really understand the lack of consistency in his characterization or perhaps however they portrayed him, they thought about it a couple of movies on and they were like, this is kind of weird. Like (laughs) we need to backtrack. Yeah. Let's cut his hair. So. (laughs) Yeah, I think, I think 
that for me, worst cast, uh, Harry's hair. <laughs> so not quite Harry, because I think Daniel Radcliffe is a solid Harry's choice. But hair. his hair, because like in the books, they talk about his hair being like all messy and wild, and then they would cut it and it'd make it all nice, and it would instantly go back because of magic. And so I'm like, why does he have this nice bowl cut ish Jim Carrey looking? Oh my gosh, he does look like Jim Carrey. You know, like I just don't, I just didn't understand that. So not quite, not quite Harry per se as a worst cast, but his hair for sure. I love it. And then the eye yeah. thing. Well, and then Hermione. So I think two out of the three friends, the 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 best cast is Ron for me. And so I also had Hermione, Hermione Granger's teeth. And just because they talk about her, her her bucky, they nailed the hair though. Yes. I think the bushy hair was in the great. first and second movies. They totally nail Hermione's hair. And so I think there's credit there, but but to be fair too, they they did talk about and this is treatment of eleven year olds in real life because when they were they were doing the movie, they put green contacts and then they gave her fake teeth, but they were uncomfortable. Clearly, yeah. like I don't I don't I I don't know how I'd put. I'm 29 now. I couldn't put a piece of lens in my. I don't even know how people do that actually. Still to this you day, you get used to it. Let me tell you. <laughs> you wear contacts? Yes. Do they hurt? No. Well, they irritated Daniel Radcliffe and he had to take him out because it was burning. And so that, so, so I think, the, so that was uh, Weasley's I thought was good. Oh, I can't believe I didn't mention this. I have to backtrack one time. I cannot mention Best Cats without shouting out Tom Felton as Draco Malfoy. Yes, because absolutely. He, 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 he brings it. He's a great cast. He's a great representation of who I thought all this, like the, the snarky. Yes. And he's not quite evil. And I love the progression. We'll get yes. to that more because yeah, he's like, just a punk like bully in the first one. And then yep. I think he gets more evil and then he becomes like, I don't know. I start feeling for him. But anyways, yes. we'll get there. But anyways, going back to worst cast. So, or the Hogwarts train. Worst cast, that damn train. I was like, was seeing Harry's face when he sees it. I'm like, oh, this is going to be a, a, just a magnificent, it's going to be a dope train. It's like this small little like toy train. It looks normal. It just has like red cars. I've ridden that train. I've been on that train before. <laughs> And it was not comfortable. And they did not give me snacks. Um, but yeah, that, that, I don't know if that's a cop out, but I would, no, uh, I'm going to go with works. Harry's hair as worst cast. I also think the pun of Harry's hair is just, I can't let that go. I must point that out. Well played, Josh. That's so funny. All righty. So uh, moving on, Sarah, why don't you bring us into the next category? Okay. Well, we can't let our first discussion of Harry Potter go without discussing our Hogwarts houses because this is a crucial point to establish. So, of course, the four Hogwarts houses are Gryffindor, Ravenclaw, Hufflepuff, and Slytherin. So, Josh, give me a little insight into what house you think you would be a part of at Hogwarts. So, I think what house I would want to be in no, I think eliminating them by all oh, houses I'm not in would probably be easier. But so Gryffindor being courageous and brave and bold and leadership. I think I have some, maybe some of that, but not quite. And as much as I think it would be cool to be in Gryffindor, like I think I'd want to. I don't think that's what I, and Hufflepuff too. Like there's a part of me, I don't know why I want to be in Hufflepuff. Maybe it's the loyalty aspect of right. Hufflepuff. Maybe it's the like they're kind of the middle child of the houses, <laughs> I feel. That's awesome. Uh, Ravenclaw would be, I think, because of knowledge and wanting to know. I'm, I love reading. I love knowing. I, I consume a lot of content. But I think based on, even within our roommates, we talk about this and in our interactions and they kind of have, you know, 
bluntly and uh, honestly. Let me, and I was like, you know what? You're right. I think I'm Slytherin. <laughs> and it's not what I want, but I think it's what I am. And That's what, okay, though. And uh, yeah, and I think I think as I dove into that a little bit more, and it was because of the the well, the aspect of people always say, Josh, you you have this like this ability, and it's a, I think a gift and a curse, obviously. But I can say things, and I think the leadership because there's leadership qualities in Slytherin. Like right. you have to Absolutely. be a leader. There's the cunning and the sly, and of course they breed all these evil people. But but all those traits though are good. Like right. the fact that Voldemort was able to raise loyalty, it just how he did it obviously is bad. Right. And and so I think the roommates always give me a hard time because they're like, Josh, you can say anything and people are like, oh yeah, totally. That's truth. Or I'm I'm in. And it can be the craziest or like a lie or a joke. I call them jokes. They call them lies. That's where we disagree a lot. But <laughs> but I think there is some sort of Slytherin-esque uh, traits in my in my being, in my person. But I, I, I'm okay with it. I've learned Good. to love that, I think. I think, well, I think that brings up an interesting point too, because I mean, a lot of what we get as characterization of people from Slytherin is very negative. But I mean, you have to think about, okay, well, there's Snape, which is a complex example, but Correct. lots of... Like he's very representative of a deep love. And I think that's important to point out about the fact that like love can exist in Slytherin. Like they're not these like heartless, cold creatures. <laughs> they're people. In fact, um, or even thinking about like the representation of horse Slughorn that we get in the last or in um, Half-Blood Prince True. and then in Deathly Hallows. But I think he's an interesting character to think about too in that like we so often think about Slytherin, right, as being like this very prejudiced yeah. like space. And I think the in the book, at least, it seems that Rowling goes out of her way in a lot of ways to really point out that like Slughorn, I mean, and again, this would trail on <laughs> like light ground here, kind of eggshells, but it's like he really cared about what people could do mm. in a slightly negative way, perhaps. But he really cared about people, what people could do, not necessarily what their history was. And so kind of that alternative perspective to thinking about all Slytherins as being very much prejudiced towards purebloods. I think he's a great representation that that's not what you have to, that's not what you have to be marked by in order to be in Slytherin. And I think that I would have actually been interested in knowing or, or like reading or watching a little bit more characterization of Slytherins that were not bad. Yeah. That would yeah. be helpful and make me feel better yeah, for sure about my choice should... of Slytherin. But no, I think... <laughs> you shouldn't be ashamed. <laughs> I think at the end of the day, Voldemort's just misunderstood. Okay. And so... <laughs> just kidding. Right. And I'm just misunderstood. Okay, Enneagram, Enneagram 4. Enneagram type 4. I was going to say that, but I was like, I don't know if I want to get into that conversation. But <laughs> It's okay. I was going to refer to it later anyway. Perfect. But what about you? I would be... Wait. First, I'm interested. What do you think I am? Oh, gosh. Uh, Ravenclaw. Okay. That's what I thought I was Dang for a really it. long time. So not far off. I, though, as I have gotten older, I know without a shadow of a doubt that I'm a Hufflepuff. Oh. I am like a Hufflepuff through and through. Okay. Because for a long time, I was like, oh, I'm Ravenclaw because I like school. But I have grown from that perspective because I think Ravenclaw is very much a like innately intellectual space, okay. perhaps. And I think I am much more of a like hardworking intellectual. Like I need mm. to, I put in a lot of work to have and gain my knowledge. 
Um, I also, and again, this is coming back to the Enneagram 4 comment. I am an Enneagram 6 and therefore loyalty is incredibly important to me. And so I think that Hufflepuffs have that. I think they demonstrate that. And that's one of their kind of like expressed interests in in kind of their um their qualities that you look for in a Hufflepuff. And it I it's funny because my advising professor for my PhD, he was reading the Harry Potter books to his kids. And we were in class one day and me and all of my classmates, we were talking about the Harry Potter books because we knew he was reading them to his kids. And and we were talking about our Hogwarts houses and this subject came up and and I said, I was like, I think I'm a Hufflepuff. This was at my time of like transitioning from Ravenclaw to Hufflepuff and coming to grips with that. <laughs> I had a transfer. I a transfer transferred schools. I transferred. I put it in, in the portal, my transfer portal. Um, and I said that and he like looked at me with this like deep searching look. And we've worked together for many years now. And he says, Sarah, you are the most Hufflepuff person I've ever encountered. And I was like, a little bit like uh like a slight but I want to take <laughs> it as a compliment. So I have yeah very much come to the realization that I am a Hufflepuff. And I always this I don't know this happens in my brain. This will happen often because I relate most things in my life to Lord of the Rings, but I feel like Hufflepuffs are like hobbits. Like huh. they're just they're kind of okay. they like love peace and like yeah. good food. I mean they live next to the kitchens at the like their their common yeah. room entrance is right by the kitchens. And so there's kind of a like a little bit more like under the radar ness yeah. about them and the Shires like their security or their safe yeah, space. Yeah. And- they just kind of thrive by being with each other and but also kind of like retreating sometimes. Well, all righty, Hufflepuff and yes. Slytherin. That's where we landed. The uh, next question, the next category here in a uh, lightning bolt scar quick round. <laughs> <laughs> you know what the bad thing is is that we literally came up with that like just recently and I'm still dying with laughter over it I'm like we're so clever oh it's so funny <laughs> I think I even traced my forehead when you said lightning you round you absolutely <laughs> said, <gasps> you literally went gasp lightning bolt on my forehead so, all the pieces put well together played, Josh um, those were lovely answers there Sarah for the Thanks. previous one thank you you too for the lightning bolts Scar quick round. We're just going to go through some questions from the book, from the movie that we get to respond to. So we're going to go power through these. And Perfect. so the first one is, okay, which pet would you get? Every every student gets to choose between three pets and it's an owl and it's a cat or it's a toad. I find this really funny too, because then we find out that Ron brings a rat. So it's like, there are more options, That's but true. anyway, I believe there's only one right answer to this question. And it's an owl. Right? It is an owl. And I think you agree with me. Is this what you would say for this question? 100%. An owl is the most, it's literally the equivalent of an iPhone in the wizarding world. Oh, yeah. It sends messages. Mm -hmm. It shows up in the morning. Like it's like a time device. Hedwig is 100% the most useful. Yeah thing in Harry's life, perhaps other than his wand. When and it, when it's near you and it's not even being used, it gives you comfort. Yeah. It's like a it's yeah, it's like a companion. Like where's my phone? This is way too real. What is this like Bilbo? Like, what they're in my pocket. My um but yeah, I for like a hundred percent an owl. 
good answer and the only answer and the right answer. <laughs> right. This is like, usually I'm very much like an open, like, yeah, like participate, add what you have to say into the discussion. But this one, there's like no discussion. It is absolutely an owl. Yeah, you can find us on social media and argue with us. And uh, we'll tell you you're probably wrong. Okay, Hedwig is the only reason Harry is alive at certain points because she brings him food. She's also like Amazon, Instacart or something. <laughs> That's who Hedwig is. She is the lifeline. <laughs> the original Grubhub. The original Grubhub was owls. Owls. <laughs> the next question is, which candy snack do you want to eat the most on the Hogwarts Express? Okay. I, for me, it would be the pumpkin pasties. Mm. I love all things pumpkin flavored. I'm the original basic white girl. I love pumpkin spice. So I would choose that. But what would you choose? Whipped cream on your pumpkin pie? Do people eat it without it? It, Is that, Josh, what sort of a question? Like, what do you think I am? Is that like an owl question? A sociopath? Of course (laughs) I eat whipped cream on my pumpkin pie. I don't know. You say you love pumpkin more than anything. And I feel like you add whipped cream, it changes the pumpkin. Oh, okay. Okay. Anyway, Josh. I I thought you were going to say, no, I would never ruin it. I was going to be blown away. Okay. Um, Pumpkin? Hold on. This point is not done. Pumpkin and whipped topping is 1,000% what the Lord is going to offer to me at the pearly (laughs) gates. He's going to say, Sarah, welcome to heaven. Here you go. Here are the riches that were promised. I'm going to be like, Jesus, you can take my, like all the little jewels that go in my crown. Just give me pumpkin pie. (laughs) And he'll say, okay, Sarah. Deal. Done. (laughs) Jesus, deal. He's like, done. I'm richer still. (laughs) I don't have to share. Okay, I'll keep the jewels. (laughs) We are walking into heretical lands. I know. I'm like, (laughs) don't worry. On the other side of cancellation is freedom. Or at least that's what I've been told by a good friend. Uh, Which, oh, which snack would I choose? Yeah. What would you choose? I'm boring. I'm going to have to say roasted uh, chimera potato crisps. I'm boring. I'm going to throw out the word chimera. (laughs) Well, potato crisp. It's like, those are potato chips. Like they're just using fancy words. Is it because a chimera is like a, a hybrid of things, isn't it? Isn't that kind of what the term means? It's like a, a dragon-esque thing. I would also like to note for everyone listening that Josh just made like spirit fingers in the air. So yeah, dragon they things. have two heads and they're... they're Yeah, so it's like a hybrid, yeah, like yeah, an yeah. overlay of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I but wonder what they... they're also potatoes. I will eat potatoes in any form. I love potatoes. They're the best. I know people are going to get mad. Vegetable. I don't think it's a vegetable, it's but a, I... Isn't it a starch? I don't know. I we convinced myself Brin. it's a, uh, the vegetable because... Think about it. It's the most universal thing. Josh, I don't think it's a vegetable. That's fine. It's delicious. <laughs> Especially well, when it's in that a chimera. Regard, it's not a vegetable because <laughs> vegetables aren't. No. So the potato chips or toffee. I think they offer uh, just plain toffee. Or what about Fred and George's tongue-tongued toffee? No, God, no. No. That would, I, I would absolutely gift that to you if this was real. Look, if I... That's... Wait, what? That's like poisoning. No, it's Trying a to joke. prank me. <laughs> <laughs> it's a joke that has no counter I'm sorry spells. you died. It was a joke. <laughs> well, I think it's because I can't say chocolate frogs because they're like wiggly and I have... Oh, yeah. That would just feel like you're actually eating a frog. I throw up way too easily. People start gagging or burping or farting or doing anything that's remotely and I'm like, oh, it's coming out. And so I couldn't do that. I couldn't do the ever bean... Every, boss, fla- every flavor see, bean? No, not at all. Me and my friend Bailey did this once where, cause they sell them, you know, in those little boxes and you, we, they have matching ones or like, well, this one looks identical to this one, but this one's pear and this one's vomit. And so it was violent. So we would take two of the same and then we would 
pick one and then we'd eat them at the same time and see who got the lucky Alas, good flavor. Earwax. We're walking up and down uh, Main Street in, uh, what was that, Rio Doso, and we're just dying laughing and also heaving and kind of vomiting. But anyway, so I can't, I can't do any of those magical candies no. at all. So give me the potato chips. Or the toffee. That's it. <laughs> no cockroach um, clusters for you. <laughs> what would your favorite subject be? Oh, this is such a fun question. I feel that it would either be charms. And I say that because I think charms, I've thought deeply about this question also. I think charms would be the most useful Interesting. subject. Because think about it. Like, right, I think as my understanding of magical theory goes, I think that charms would probably encompass the most like household charms, like okay. doing things around your house. I mean, if you think about Wingardium Leviosa, the levitation charm, mm. you learn about that. Accio, summoning charm, like all these different things that like are incredibly crucial to Harry's journey. He learns in charms class. And so I think that would be fun too, because it seems more of almost like a manipulation of the space around you to make things work rather than like in Transfiguration, you're actually like making things, which I would feel troubled. Honestly, and we might talk about this later, I would feel very troubled about the fact that I was consistently turning animals into inanimate objects. I'd be like, I'm sorry, I just snuffed out your life force. (laughs) I'm 11. Again, I'm 11. Anyway, so I would say charms or potions, but not if Snape was the potions master. Interesting. I think Snape is a terrible teacher. (laughs) Again, we'll revisit this later. But yeah, and Half-Blood Prince when he was the best teacher. Eat your own words, Sarah Worland. No, he writes a murder charm in the side of the book. Anyway, sorry. I'm going to calm down a little bit. You're definitely <laughs> yeah, going to need I was attacking you. You're right. You're, you're right. I take it back. I take you're it back. definitely going to need to turn that down as you're editing this because that's going to shatter your eardrums. But <laughs> potions would be... It's like cooking. It would be so fun. I agree. Also, every time... This is just a little insight into how weird I am. Every time I cook something, I think about being in potions class. So I'm like, the other day I was like making pudding and I was like stirring and I was like, uh, this is actually probably me eating the eating my words because I thought about Half-Blood Prince and I was like, five stirs clockwise, one stir counterclockwise. I'm going to make this better pudding now. So Goodness. anyway, potions or charms. What about you? Uh, Transfiguration would be cool to turn into another animal. I know that's not quite the class. But right. if I personally can turn into another animal, so you want to be, be an cool. animagus. I want to be a silverback gorilla, okay, more specifically. Wait, wait, side question: What would your animagus form be? What animal would you turn into? Silverback gorilla. I just don't always know. If in, I agree. Always, but you don't get a choice. Oh, oh, you mean like remember, like like oh, gotcha, McGonagall gotcha, 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 turns gotcha, into gotcha. a cat. James turned into yeah. a stag. Who chooses to turn into a stag? It's obviously That's not a choice. True. Yeah, I don't know. If it was a choice, you'd be a silverback I used the word obviously and that felt condescending to me. So I need to just back that up a little bit. <laughs> In say. real life, I don't know. I don't, if I had to say a, based on my personality. Yeah, what I don't would know, you be? A magpie maybe. I just hoard all the time. I hoard all these things and I got drawers of, there's a drawer full of cash. There's a drawer full of just random. Josh, you can't say there's a drawer full of cash in your room. Well, you don't know which drawer. There's like six drawers Josh. in here. There's six drawers. It would take me approximately 30 seconds to search all of them. Yeah, but you're like loyal and stuff. Like Hufflepuffers. I don't think they'll steal. steal from you. Okay. If anything, (laughs) money causes problems. So if I don't have money, I don't have any problems. So (laughs) my answer and my actual answer is potions. I feel like it's the most useful. Yeah. And in this world, I'm Slytherin. So therefore, I'd get A's all the time. Even if it was Snape. Bad teacher or not. 
favoritism. I'm, You're right. Hey, use it to my advantage. Um, our quick bolt, our lightning quick bolt uh, round is actually not that quick. I know. <laughs> it's um, like, oh my gosh, this is so classic. Which magic item from the movie and book, like remember alls, moving pictures, spells, stuff like that, you only get one, would you wish you had? So if you choose a wand, yeah. you only get one spell for right now. Because okay. then each episode will collectively we'll gather it. our items of magical things. Great. Well, for this movie, then I'm choosing the invisibility cloak and not just any invisibility cloak. Mm. I want Harry's invisibility <laughs> cloak. That's important. Now you're going to let Harry not have it and die? Just kidding. <laughs> That's not part of the question. <laughs> uh, I'm That's a good answer. <laughs> Timeline wise, maybe I'm actually just a descendant of Harry Potter's and therefore it would be passed you down to me. It. No, that's a good That's a yeah. good one. I'll be honest, it's going to sound really dumb. I didn't even have that on my list as I was taking notes. That's okay. Isn't that ridiculous? That means that we can't both take it. So maybe I get it's because it. I just want to be seen. <laughs> I'm already unseen enough. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, the four and you got four coming out. Okay. <laughs> I just want to be seen. <laughs> I'm dead. Oh, oh I'm self-deprecating. Gosh. It's horrible. Okay. So no, but for real though. What, what would you want? The table that provides meals. I know it's not technically the table, but whatever magic's going on that gets the food onto the tables. So you that's want to self magic. Yes. I guess it's just, yeah, magic in general. I know you're going with this, but I'm 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 backpedaling already. I just want a table that food appears on, okay? For me and my friends. Cool. We'll talk about Spew in later episodes. (laughs) Unless we're talking about the movie because it caught it out. Okay. Oh my gosh, yeah, disaster. The table that provides meals. I hope that's kosher. I think that's a thing. It's okay. I mean, if kosher food is popping up, it would be kosher, so... (laughs) I do like a good dill pickle. Okay. So which challenge would you pass? <laughs> don't tell me you don't like pickle spears. I hate pickles, but also what the heck? That's the first kosher item that comes to my head. All righty. So that we're almost, we're almost to the, we're on the home stretch here. So Sarah, what is, uh, what do we got next? All right. Well, the next thing that we have are, is our rankings. So as we go throughout this, we're going to start giving our, our ranking of our favorite books, our books in order, and our movies in order. Um, however, we're at one. So <laughs> this is a really fascinating ranking moment. So I guess right now we're just at Sorcerer's Stone. This is what we've talked about. It's ranked one. This was faster than the lightning round. This was faster. <laughs> I think it's unsurprising to me that something that was supposed to be fast in a conversation between the two of us ended up being long. That's so. true. But then I guess our final our final section would be Josh. What do you think? Page or picture for this this one? Oh man, which who, did you prefer? Who won here? Um, what do I prefer? I'm with this one. I'm gonna have to based on those silly little wizard hats. I'm gonna have to say the book, <laughs> the page That's one for the no. deciding factor. <laughs> no, I, I'm gonna have to say the page, which. I am a little, this category, I am a little more, I lean more towards the books. I usually yes. think the books are, are better, better, right? Because they're the original content. But hopefully I see some curveballs and I'm convinced later on that this is not always true, but I'm going to have to go with the page on this one. Oh, I'm with you on that one. Page for sure. I think there's nothing in this first book too, like there's just nothing quite like re-experiencing that, this first entry into this world. It's so fun. and the book it just captures you or captures me in such a way that the movie's great, but just can't quite hold a candle to, can't quite hold a 
Lumos lit wand to my love for the book. Hey, no one holds candles. They all float in this in this world. <laughs> they just float around. Who needs it? That's that's funny. All righty. Well, we will see you soon on another episode. We will never see them, Josh. You'll hear us soon. <laughs> Dang it! <laughs> New episode. There I am getting uh, educated by the educator. <laughs> Take care, everyone. Keep reading. Keep listening. Thank you for tuning into this episode of The Medium Project. We hope we got you thinking. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And if you have friends who might enjoy these conversations, please share this podcast with them. Check out the show notes. You can access material we discussed in the episode, and you can get future episodes sent directly to your email. Spoiler alert, there may be a few other opportunities for you in the show notes as well. This is a Three Milks Media production produced by Josh Perez and co-produced by Sarah Warland. Keep reading, keep watching, and keep listening. In the book, he buys uh, Hedwig, the owl, and then he names him Hedwig and we learn his name and it's not even mentioned the whole, that should, uh, I'm backtrack, that's bloody hell. Like Hedwig is such an important character and they don't even say his name, I don't I believe. Hedwig was a girl. Let's go back a second. <laughs> <laughs> is Hedwig a girl? Hold on. Probably. Wrong I think I'm being, time? I might be being a sexist. No, that's okay. But I just, I want to, I want to know. Oh, you're so right. I am so wrong. I'm going to redo that. Hedwig is a girl, isn't she? Yep. Oh, you just Google, you did the smart, I'm like literally <laughs> flipping through the, through the book and you're like, here's a computer. <laughs> okay, Gosh, you I tell me born, when you find it. I was literally born in the wrong century. <laughs> I stand corrected.